Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys! 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 Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including showbiz news, classic radio shows, movie reviews, trivia contests, and celebrity interviews. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present a classic radio mystery on the Black Museum starring Orson Welles. But it's time now for our quiz game, Stump the Host. Lisa Wolf will test my knowledge of classic radio by asking me a bevy of questions on the subject. And for every question I answer correctly, you'll hear that. For every question I answer incorrectly... You'll hear that. And uh, Lisa is our moderator. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. She spends all week figuring out these questions. And, um... Well, you say that in jest, and but her I kids seriously starve. do. She doesn't do any laundry. And uh, she just neglects everyone in her household. Hey. So, uh, no. Terry from Pennsylvania is on the line, right? Terry, hi. How you doing? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? Uh, we're all right, my friend. You and I are going to gang up on Lisa. We're not going to let her win this game. All right, Terry? Sounds like a plan. All right. We're going to give you the question, and if you need me as your lifeline, I will help you. That's how it works. Will. Lisa is uh, she's half asleep, so she wouldn't I, have been able to I explain that say, to you. I are you done talking yet? Because you have not stopped. She's like eating cake, and she's sleeping, I and normally she's get to doing her our, uh, our bills. Listener. She's, uh, she's filling out her bills for the week. Are you done yet? All right. Let's go. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Terry, I think I was feeling nice this week. This shouldn't be too difficult. Let's see how this goes. What kind of bullets did the Lone Ranger use? Oh. Um, silver. That's right. Silver is right. You got it. Terry. Hey, I'm on your side. This is not a tough competitive game. Carl's got it wrong. Move it along there, Lisa. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. There you go. Move it along. I'm going to leave that alone. Throughout the radio run, are we done? Which spanned 21 years, with only a few exceptions, Tonto was played by what actor? All right. What actor played Tonto on radio? I, Carl, I just asked that. I don't All need right. you to say it. Come on. Go ahead. Terry, Terry do you, know? you know the answer? Carl, give me a lifeline. That's John Todd. That is right. All right, we're gonna we're gonna just she's not getting even one, Terry. Hey, I was feeling nice this week, guys. Not even let her get okay, one. Okay, Terry, what would the Lone Ranger famously say as his horse galloped toward the setting sun? Hiyo silver away. There you go. See this game's easy. Terry knows his stuff. Yes, he does. All right. All right, guys, on Luke's Slaughter of Tombstone. What was the opening statement for each program or uh, you know, part of it, whatever uh, you know? Ah. Uh, you know this one, Terry? Can Luke's... you say that one more time real quick? Sure. On Luke Slaughter of Tombstone, what was the opening statement for each program? Go ahead, Carl. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a cattle man, something like that. I'm a cattle man. It's something and like I'm that. A, and I'm a tough man. I'm a hard yeah, man. That, that's... 
and I and I don't take no you know what from anybody because I'm Luke Slaughter of Tombstone, something like that. I give you it's half. Good a, enough. I give right? you half a point. What is it? Okay, Slaughter's my name. Luke uh, Slaughter. Cattle's my cattle's business. Cattle's my business. It's a, it's tough, a tough business. It's a big business, business and there's uh, no man west of the Rio Grande. And they big enough tough to enough to take it take away it from, from me. me. You got I, it. I knew it. You knew it halfway. Terry, we're not giving her that. You get a half a point, guys. Three quarters right, of a point. Better than none. There I, you go. See? I, I'm going to fight for three quarters. So I'll give fine. you two thirds. All right. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. All right, Terry. What was the opening of Lum and Abner? Uh, way back before me what's now. the opening well i'll well, the start phone it would for ring, you a phone would ring and he'd be like uh jot him down store love amder speaking uh something like that and now let's see what's going on down in uh, pine ridge in arkansas pine ridge arkansas so you that's get, good enough you get a good half a point for that all one. right or two-thirds we're, we're we're on fire here terry <laughs> i'll bet <laughs> all right there were a few sound effects on lum and abner what was their one notable sound effect yeah terry i just said it what 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 did I just say? What did say? you just say? The what phone, just... telephone. No, that wasn't the oh, one yeah. notable cash one. register and the telephone. Those oh. were the two. All right. Well, according what? to my encyclopedia, they're wrong. they're wrong. It's the screen door that creaked open whenever someone came into uh, the store. I don't know about that, but all right, all right. I, I don't. I can't well, argue with you. Know you know what, I Terry? Don't know. I'm feeling very generous. Let's oh, give her one. He's generous, yeah. isn't he? Feeling so generous. All right. Which radio series initially adapted Broadway plays during its first two seasons before it began adapting films? Oh, okay. I know this one. Go ahead, Carl. Uh, that's the Lux Radio Theater. That's right. Anyway, anything with Broadway plays and I'm good to go. Okay, now listen. The Lux Radio Theater broadcast for more than 20 years and continued on television as what through most of the 1950s? As what? What do you what mean? What was it called? Oh, yeah. You mean when I went to television? Yep. Terry, you know it? I, I think I do, but it's it's not coming to me right now. But I think Kraft... No. It's similar it was, to Lux Radio Theater. It was Lux, theater. but instead of radio, they it changed the name radio, and then they kept theater. So what do you think it was on television? Lux what theater? Don't know. Lux Video Theater. You got it. That is right. All right. So she can't stump us, Terry. I'm- She's not stumping us. Yeah, she's not. We're, not we're a good a team. Terry and I, we got this. Okay, Terry, on the Mel Blank show, Mel Blank ran a repair business called what? All right. Mel Blank ran a repair business. Yeah, it was the Fix-It Shop. Fix-It Shop. That's right. right. And who played Zuki, his stuttering helper in the shop? Oh, Zuki. Yep. Who was Zuki? Yep. Ozuki. Um, I'm gonna guess it was Mel Blank. It was. All right. I thought I'd get you on that one. He played Zuki You're not as well. Stumping Terry and me. <laughs> I know. I'm not a stumper. Okay, on Mr. and Mrs. North. Mm. Where did the Norths live? Uh, where'd they live, Terry? You know? Heck, gosh. Where, where are these from? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. North. They lived in New York. They, they lived? lived in a in a high-rise penthouse apartment. Probably in New York. In New York. It, well, specifically, it was in Greenwich Village. Oh, Greenwich but Village. You, yeah. It's two thirds. All right. Two thirds. All right. Mr. District Attorney was inspired by the exploits of who? Um, New York's DA of the late 30s and a yeah. 1944 candidate for now, president. Now, if I know this, this is pretty good because I, 
If I know this, I should get like one and a half points. Yeah, I think sure. it was Dewey. It was Thomas E. Dewey, yeah. yes. Wow. Oh, wow. wow, Terry. I'll okay. tell you what, I'm actually impressed that I knew that one because that just came out of my one of the crevices uh-huh. back there in the in the in the in my cranium. I don't want to hear about it. Just the came crevices. right out, just shot right out of my cranium. <laughs> all right, who, all right. On the side here, he lost to what president? Did Dewey lose to? Um, he lost to uh, wait, wait, Truman. Wait. Oh no, Dewey? No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Let sorry, me sorry. ask Terry. Maybe yeah. he knows. Terry, do you know who he lost to? I think Hoover? I know. No. No. I think it was a little later than Hoover. I think it was. I think it was uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. That is right. Yeah, that's right. That's FDR. Right. That is right. Are we time for one more? All right. What was the character name of the DA's secretary? Oh yeah, what was her? Was it? What was her name? Ah, um, was it Della Della something? I was going to say Della Street. No. Was it something like Della? No. Um, was it? Um, this is Mr. DA's secretary. Mm-hmm. Ah, give me a give me a hint. They called her Miss. Give me a hint. Like I thought that was a give hint. Give me the first initial. Oh, the first name or the last name? She is like it's Miss, and then it's the first name and the last name. Ah, give me the first initial. E. Ellen? No. Ellen? I don't know. What is it? Miss Edith Miller. Ah, uh, Edith Miller. Know that? All right, so we didn't get that. Well, you know what, Terry? You guys Lisa did got great. two. We got like 100. Uh, so, Terry, she did not beat the host. I told you she wasn't going no to. No way. And you, my friend, are a big winner. My uh, Krabby Brothers and going to send you some fun prizes. Okay, Terry? Sounds great. Thank you. All right, you buddy. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you listening and calling in. Terry uh, is uh, he can be my uh, my my partner anytime against you on Stump the Host. Yeah, it's a deal. All right, when we come back, it's Orson Welles in the Black Museum. Don't go away. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. The Black Museum was a radio crime drama produced by Harry Allen Towers for the BBC in 1951 and based on real-life cases from the files of Scotland Yard's Black Museum. Orson Welles, who was living in London at the time, was both host and narrator for stories of horror and mystery based on Scotland Yard's collection of murder weapons and various ordinary objects once associated with historical crime cases. Walking through the museum, Wells would pause at one of the exhibits, and his description of an artifact served as a device to lead into a tale of terror or a brutal murder. In the weekly closing, Wells concluded with his signature radio phrase, I remain, as always, obediently yours. In the U.S., the series aired on the Mutual Network in 1952. We have an episode now called The Notes. It's from 1952. Here's Orson Welles in part one of The Black Museum. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. The Black Museum, it's a repository of death. Here in the grimy stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of homicide. Where everyday objects, a phonograph record, a postcard, a color photograph, a simple statuette, all are touched by murder. He has two scribbled notes, bits of paper with three words scrawled across them. Slogan known around the world, a slogan you recognize. Words created in the kind of lonely, fond men far from home, men at war, have enjoyed through all of history. What's it mean, Inspector? It would be nice to know, Sergeant. 
I suspect that if we did know, we'd have the answer to this nasty business. Well, this killer, sir, it's possible he's an American. That phrase was American, sir, all through the war. Kilroy was here. Kilroy was here. And he's still here. In the Black Museum. From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death. The Black Museum. Here we are in the Black Museum. Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Here's a typewriter. Your secretary uses one. Perhaps your son or daughter writes their school essays on a machine like this. This one he used to write a letter. That letter brought a woman to an address and death to the author of that letter. Ah, here are the notes. Scrawled on line paper such as children use, children who are just learning to write. And a photograph showing the same three words scratched on a wooden surface. Three times three was a number in witchcraft in ancient times. Three times three words were written. This wasn't witchcraft. Merely murder. Began for Inspector Liggett and Sergeant Porter in the usual manner. A telephone rang in the inspector's office at the yard. Inspector Liggett here. Sergeant Garth, 11th District Metropolitan Police, sir. We're at the Royal Roost, sir. Private Supper Club, 15 Marley Court. The proprietor, Matt Bolton, has been shot and killed, Inspector. Very well, we'll be right along. Well, ah, so Matt Bolton has finally departed this earth, Porter. In the expected manner? In the expected manner. You wouldn't know Matt Bolton. Ninety-nine chances out of a hundred, you never heard of him. But enough people had heard of him. To net Matt Bolton a neat six-figure income from various protective associations and entertainment enterprises, such as the Royal Roost, one of those small private supper clubs, manages to keep its license by operating just within the law. The club was easy to find. In place of a neon sign, there was a police constable at the door. Yeah, it looks like it's this way, I think. In here, Inspector? It always is in these places. Apparently, a good many people prefer to amuse themselves breathing a combination of tobacco and poor liquor fumes rather than good fresh air. Quite a costume on those girls. Oh, roosters in the Royal Rooster. <laughs> Get it, Sergeant? <laughs> I've never seen a rooster with so little on besides tail feathers. <laughs> Neither have I. Yep, look, we better get to work, Sergeant. <laughs> But two policemen crossed the nightclub, skirted the dance floor, and quietly passed through the doorway near the bandstand. To their left, another door stood open, revealing a cubicle complete with mirror lights, another girlish rooster, a man, and a body. A body full length on the floor. The girl was saying... Look, we simply can't send the chorus out once more. Do I get to do my act, or don't I? I'm Inspector Liggett, Sergeant. The young lady may uh, uh, do her act. I doubt if she'll try to go outside the club in that, that costume. Well, thank you, Inspector. First, this man said he thought the show ought to go on so the customers wouldn't be disturbed, and then he held me here. 
Well, look, that's my cue. I'll be back. Don't worry. I'm not going any place. You're so right about that, Inspector. Knows her way around that girl, sir. Found the body. Didn't turn her hair. So I noticed. Find the weapon, Sergeant? No, sir. Not in here. Uh, Porter, check the exits. Very good, sir. Oh, we've done that, sir. Only two, the way you came and the back door, fire exit. No one in the kitchen saw or heard anything. We haven't touched the body. Waited for you and the medical examiner, sir. Uh, very good. All right. Turn out his pockets, Porter. Yes, sir. Here's something, Inspector. Tucked in his breast pocket. Ah. Hmm. Quite a touch. I, uh... I take it you didn't see this, Garth? No, sir. We left the body strictly as it was. Odd. Almost a signature. It's a note. Kilroy was here. For a moment, memories of other days crowded into the tiny dressing room. A phrase which had meant chuckles once seemed incongruous in that atmosphere of violent death. And then Mabel was back. With boyfriends. May I inquire who your escort is, Miss Martin? Larry King, meet Scotland Yard. Gentlemen, how do you do? Is this your usual practice, Mr. King? If you mean escorting Miss Martin home, that's correct. You are uh, good friends? We're engaged. I see. Uh, Miss Martin, before you leave us to get, uh, get dressed, uh, during your employment here, have you ever had any... Uh, any Trouble with Mr. Bolton? Do you mean, did he make advances? Yes. Well, naturally. I see. Uh, Mr. King, did you know about these uh, these advances? I did. Did you ever have any trouble with Mr. Bolton? Nothing to speak of? Of course, it never is anything to speak of. You served during the recent war. I did. Eight Army. All the way from Tobruk to Northern Italy. Does the expression Kilroy was here mean anything to you? The Americans, Fifth Army, they used it. I've seen it many times. Very well. Uh, leave your addresses, both of you, with Sergeant Garth here. And uh, don't leave the city. We may need you. That's all for now. Now the routine begins. Inspector Liggett and Sergeant Porter return to the yard. The orders go out. Have them run a complete check on Bolton's pals. They'll all have alibis, but run the check anyway. That was a start. Now the patient waiting, putting together the few facts available. It's the hardest part of police work anywhere. So, Porter, hmm. no prints on that note except yours and mine. Correct, Inspector. What have you got on King and the girl? She's, uh, well, remarkably respectable. Nothing remarkable, Sergeant. Uh, what about him? He's a lawyer in the city. Rather successful. Good reputation. Hmm, ever crossed Bolton's path in his work? Nope. He's a copyright lawyer. Deals with writers, mostly. Uh, nothing there, then. Takes patience. Lots of it. Check and recheck. Wait for information. Wait for the telephone to ring. Inspector Liggett here. Detective Ashton, sir. 23rd District. Uh, go ahead, Ashton. At 14 and a half Haven Mew, sir. We've been watching the place, sir. That King fellow lives there. Yes, I know. The superintendent's wife has been found, sir, on the cellar steps, strangled. We found a note in her apron pocket. Kilroy was here, it says. Mmm, said Kilroy is here, Lisa. You know what that's, uh... Kind of a famous uh, saying, you know, it started, I think, in the uh, 
in the uh, maybe 1950s during the Vietnam War, uh, 60s during the Vietnam War, Kilroy was here. It was a symbol. It was like a guy looking over a fence, kind of like kind of with his nose over the fence. You ever see that anywhere? Like they had that symbol of a guy, Kilroy was here. Interesting. All right, this is the Black Museum going back to 1952. It's called The Notes, starring O. Wells. Good old O. Wells, Orson Wells. Is that uh, his nickname for yeah, you? Yeah, O. Wells. Yeah, you know, he and I were close. Just call it O. o. Wells. Just call him O for short. Yeah, syndicated over the Mutual Network. Hope you're enjoying the Black Museum. want to remind all of our listeners that uh, Cat's Pride, one of our sponsors, is giving away a year's supply of kitty litter every single month to one of our lucky listeners. How do you enter into this drawing? Well, just take a picture of your kitty and uh, email it to us at catspridephoto at gmail.com. And make sure you include your name, your cat's name, and your city and state. Make sure you send that to catspridephoto at gmail.com, and you'll be automatically entered into the drawing every month. We're going to give away a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter, right? Yep, we feel uh, lucky to have our new sponsor, Cat's Pride. I am excited about it, and this is for a full year. So you can send a picture in every month. If you don't win, send another picture in, another one, another one. And uh, 12 lucky winners throughout the year are going to win a year's supply of kitty litter. I wonder how much that is. There's probably a lot of bags of kitty litter. Yeah, boxes usually. Yeah, wow. All right. Bags, boxes, Boxes, I don't know. Gallons. I don't know. I don't know. All right, so it is time now for another Tommy Lee Jones movie clip. It's his birthday. He was born September 15th, 1946, so he will be celebrating a birthday here. Happy birthday, Tommy Lee Jones. Here's a 2012 biography drama history that he appeared in. How can I hold that all men are created equal when here before me stands stinking the moral carcass of the gentleman from Ohio, proof that some men are inferior. All right, give us a call if you know what movie that is. Toll free, 855-360-H360. And phone lines are wide open. Time to call right now, 855-360-H360. If you can identify that Tommy Lee Jones movie, you will win some fabulous prizes sent to you with love by my crabby brother. We'll be right back. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. You heard Adam West right there say it. The best in classic radio, Lisa. This is, there's nobody that's going to argue with Batman. This is the best in classic radio right here, Hollywood 360. And uh, the reason why we're the best in classic radio is because Mike Estella is a magician. He takes these classic radio shows and cleans them up and makes them sound wunderbar, right? Right, and he cleans up, uh, cleans us up a little bit too, I yeah, think. <laughs> yeah, yes, he does. We all need to be shining. Yes, he takes these classic radio shows off the original transcription discs, and he digitally remasters them and makes them sound great. And that's why when we play these shows on the air here, they sound like what you're listening to. And that's why we take a lot of pride in quality. We want quality classic radio and that's why we're the best in classic radio and i uh, and i am very uh uh i'm very amazed very amazed that's two is that two uh adjectives in a row very, very amazed. amazed yeah uh <laughs> at uh, his abilities and he does a great job and we um uh, don't let him get his head too big though no no we, we don't wouldn't do that no we don't want him to get too big of a head 
All right, so that um, that is uh, a clip with Tommy Lee Jones. Want to hear it again? Sure. All right, here it is. How can I hold that all men are created equal when here before me stands stinking the moral carcass of the gentleman from Ohio? <laughs> Proof that some men are inferior. That's a 2012 biography drama history, and Lori out in Bartlett. Hi, Lori. She knows Hi. it. Right? How are you both doing? We're doing good. We're having a good time. Lisa's being mean to me, but oh. it's okay. Oh, I can take Lisa. it. I have thick skin. No, I'm so nice. Carl is just really skin. giving me a tough time She's today. She's really, Lori. really tough, man. <laughs> But, uh, you know, all week long she calls me and she's just mean and she just berates me. She's like, are you working on the show? I'm working like a dog here. Are you working? And I'm like, yeah, Lisa. I would never do that, yes, Lori. Yes, Miss Wolf. I find, a, I find that hard to believe. Yeah. I would never do that. And I, she just, makes I me, try to avoid him all week, honestly. And you know what, Lori? She makes me call her Mrs. Wolf. <laughs> she doesn't even let me call her Lisa during the week. Well, that he doesn't He doesn't deserve. So you know, And I'll, I'll be like, Lisa, uh, what did you call me? I'm like, oh, I mean, Mrs. Wolf. There you go. So, um, just ma'am. Anyway, okay. ma'am works, too. So what do you think, uh, Lori? Do you know the name of this movie? I think that's a real good movie who won an Oscar for Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Lincoln. That is right. You yep. are absolutely right, Lori, uh, which means my Krabby Brother is going to send you some fun prizes. Sound good? That sounds great. All right. Thanks for calling. I appreciate okay, it, Lori. Take care. You Bye. too. Thank you, Lori. Lori knew it, Lisa Wolf. Yes, she did. Or Mrs. Wolf. Or Ms. Wolf. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Sally Field in this, Tommy Lee Jones, The Ticking. This is pretty cool, Lisa. Listen to this. I'm listening. The Ticking. Of Lincoln's watch in the film is the sound of Lincoln's actual pocket watch. It is the watch Lincoln carried the day of his assassination. Well, that is cool. Isn't I'm with isn't you on that, that one. Awesome. Yes, it I mean, is. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, interesting. interesting. Your favorite That's word. That's my word. One you of your, stole one of my your word. favorite words. I, I will use it and not pay a royalty. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's get back to the Black Museum. Wait for the telephone to ring, and when it does ring, another death, another note, no solution. Merely complication piled on complication. A short while later in the basement apartment of the newly widowed janitor. You found her yourself, Mr. Evans? Yes, sir. Lying there she was on the cellar steps. I was going down to look at the oil burner. I see. Now, uh... Your wife have any enemies, Mr. Evans? No, sir, no. Where would the likes of us come in having enemies? Quarrelsome a little, you might say. But what woman isn't? Oh, she she quarreled with you? With me, mostly. Not that I could blame her. It's hard work, a place like this, you know. Once in a while with a tenant. The children in 4B, for instance, they write on the walls. So my wife argues with the mother. Mm-hmm. The nice young man in 6G lets the bathtub run over. 5G complains. My wife's called Mr. King. I see, yes. Now, is Mr. King at home now? Oh, I believe so, sir. All right. Thank you. We'll do our best to find whoever killed your wife, Mr. Edmonds. Oh, thank you, sir. She had a temper, I know. But she never did no real harm. Up in the self-service elevator on the sixth floor. Find 6G and ring the bell. Have it open, not by Larry King, but by Mabel Martin. Far more fully dressed than the last time the inspector saw her. Well, uh, Miss Martin, collected the insurance yet? Cut it out, Inspector. 
I don't have to stand for that sort of thing. In fact, I could ask you for a warrant before I let you in here. But you won't, will you, Mr. King? Ask your questions. They're about Mrs. Evans, I assume. Oh, Larry, please. Don't worry, darling. Ask your questions, Inspector. You quarreled with Mrs. Evans. I did. I wanted my bathtub fixed. The drain was backing up. She told me to go to fix it myself, that's all. You're sure that was all? Murder seems to have a way of happening in your vicinity, King. Is that an accusation? What's all this to do with Matt Bolton? I don't know. But there is a link. Quite a clear link, Miss Martin. You see, on Mrs. Evans, we found a bit of paper. And on it was scrawled, Kilroy was here. Any ideas on that, ex-soldier, now Solicitor King? Solicitor King had nothing to say. His puzzlement, his lack of knowledge seemed honest enough. Inspector Leggett drew no conclusions. He waited. The routine continued. Reports came in. The Martin girl has a new job. Same type of club. I've seen the act, Inspector. Same songs. More clothes. Nothing on Bolton's cronies. Every one of them has an alibi. King seems to follow a set routine, Inspector. To the office, back home, dinner, and calls to the girl. Even eats his lunch at the same time every day in the same restaurant. Nothing much to go on there, just a time of waiting. A week passed. Telephone rang once again. Inspector Liggett here. Detective Ashton, sir. We've another one for you. What? Yes, sir. A butcher this time. Name of Andrews. Two blocks from the apartment house where King lives. Head bashed in with his own mallet. Scratched on the chopping block with one of his own knives is the same old message, sir. Kilroy was here. Kilroy was here. Familiar words with a smile in their words to remember fondly. Three times they appear. On a butcher's block. On scraps of paper. And today, they can be seen in the Black Museum. A third killing, and signed exactly the same way. Kilroy was here. More, this murder had taken place within a few blocks of 14 and a half Haven Mews, where Larry King lived. The same young man who was the secret fiancé of the singer, and whose dressing room the first body had been found. The same young man who lived in the house where the janitor's wife had been strangled. Inspector Liggett lost no time reaching the scene of the latest crime. Yes, anything fresh? Just the things I reported, sir. There's the mallet, the weapon. Yeah. The message was scratched with this knife. Mm. Uh, any prints? Uh, the laboratory crew are trying to raise some. Nothing yet. Uh, very well. Uh, who's the woman? The widow. Uh, Mrs. Andrews, I, I really dislike bothering you with questions at this time, but you understand that speed may be the essence now. Yes. Yes, of course, Inspector. Uh, I understand that it was you who found your husband. Yes. I stopped here to get some money for a dress. It'll have to be a black one now. 
Did you always come to him for that kind of money? Well, Jim had his ways. He, he was considerably older than I am. He seemed just strong when we first married. Well, later he was... Well, it changed to domineering. I understand, but now look, just a few more questions, please. Does the phrase on the chopping block mean anything to you? Kilroy was here? No. No, it's... Well, it's just a... Well, I think I heard it on the radio once or twice. From the way you describe your husband, I'd say he was rather, well, positive. A mild way of putting it. Positive. Domineering, a man who brooked no argument. As the questions went on, the picture became more clear of a large... Almost brutish man who covered his deficiencies with bluster and bullying. Finally. Uh, just one more point, Mr. Andrews. Did your husband ever argue with his customers? I mean, uh, did he make any enemies among them? Well, some. Only over little things. Can you give me a specific instance? Well, last week. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was last week. A, a nice young man said Jim was overcharging him. They had words... The man, whose name is Larry King, from the apartment house on Haven Mews, he, he swore he'd never buy here again. I see. Have I, uh, have I helped, Inspector? You may have. Just a little time will tell, I suspect. Just a little time. <laughs> Within the hour, Larry King was in custody, taken in charge for 24 hours on suspicion of complicity. His fingerprints revealed... Nothing. His answers to the barrage of questions revealed... Nothing. Wearily, the inspector and Sergeant Porter returned to the office to face unrelated facts and a no-progress report. Wearily, the inspector picked up the receiver of his office intercom. Yes, Sergeant. You have a caller, sir. Who is it? Miss Mabel Martin, sir. She oh. insists on speaking with you. Miss Martin was ushered in, seated in front of the desk. I, uh, uh, I've got something to tell you, Inspector. Uh, please do. Well, Larry didn't kill anybody. Uh, didn't he? No. I did. Steady, Sergeant. Please take down Miss Martin's statement. Now, I must warn you, Miss Martin, anything you say will be taken down in writing and may be used in evidence. Yes, I, I understand. Now the floodgates opened. I killed all three of them and left the notes to make it look as though Larry did it. So simple, so obvious. Matt Bolton threatened me. He said if I didn't come back to him, it, he'd change his insurance policies and... And tell Larry about us. Well, I... I shot him. It was a twenty-two that Larry had given me. One death accounted for. The policeman listened gravely. Mrs. Evans was always snooping. She threatened to tell Larry about Matt and me. I, I did it in the cellar, behind the coal pile. I... I strangled her. Quite logical. The inspector waited... Andrews, the butcher, I, I used to shop there for Larry. Andrews made some advances. He, 
He, he reached for me and, and I, I grabbed a meat cleaver. And then I, I scratched the note on the wood. That's the story, Inspector. Here. Here. Tell me, how much do you weigh, Miss Martin? Well, about 107 pounds. Why, what's that got to do with... Uh, Sergeant Porter, what was the caliber of the bullet found in Matt Bolton? One three eight caliber, sir. Uh, thank you. And did you notice a coal pile in the cellar at 14 and a half Haven Mews? It's an oil burner, sir. Quite modern. Uh, thank you. And the, the weapon in the Andrews case? Uh, a mallet, sir. Not a cleaver. A mallet. And, Sergeant, can you picture a young woman of 107 pounds knocking out and killing a man of Andrews' size? Not very well, sir. Of course, it's obvious. Her heart and her courage are as large as she is, if not larger. <laughs> but, uh... All right, have your fun. I've made a fool of myself, but... But Larry didn't kill anyone. I know that. I know it. You can't do this to uh, her. Look, look, look. I, I, I wouldn't worry, Miss Martin, if I were you. In, in fact, if I were you, I'd hurry out of the front of the building. Mr. King is about to be released, and I think you'll want to meet him there. Don't you? Oh, Inspector. Oh, Sergeant, I... Oh, forgive me, please. <sighs> How about it, Porter? Care to have a girl like that to marry? Yes, sir. For more reasons than one. Where are we now, sir? Oh, Han Porter, I'd say we were just about where we were when we first heard of the Andrews killing. Put on your thinking cap, Sergeant. This is quite a problem. They sat there in silence. Their minds sifted fact after fact. And once they'd been through the meager supply of facts on hand, they started over again. At one point, the inspector said, half to himself, There's something we're overlooking. Probably quite a simple point. It usually is, but... Uh... He was quite right. In fact, the inspector was quite appalled, so appalled. He spoke in what amounted to a whisper. Sergeant, hand me that telephone directory, please. What? Oh, yeah, yes, sir. <clears throat> Can I help you, sir? Uh... No, 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 thank you. Um, uh, look, uh, just get your hat, Sergeant. Get my hat. Yes, we are going back to 14 and a half Haven Mews. That's King's address. Yes, and according to the director, it is also the residence of one Joseph Kilroy, one of the seven Kilroys listed in the London telephone directory. doesn't take long from Scotland Yard to Haven Mews, not when you travel by police car with a siren going. It doesn't take long to race upstairs to a third-floor apartment, ring the doorbell. Come in, gentlemen. I heard your arrival in the street. What took you so long, gentlemen? <laughs> oh, really, now. Uh, Mr. Kilroy, I must warn you, anything you oh, say... Oh, that's is... all right, I understand. Don't mind in the least. Well, I'll be... Watch him, Sergeant. I am, sir. Frankly, uh, Liggett. Uh, Inspector Liggett. Oh, yes, thank you. Frankly, Inspector, I'm rather annoyed with you. <laughs> Here I go to all the trouble of killing a man so that nice young fellow in 6G could marry that cute little baggage he's going with. And you arrest him <laughs> instead of me. I see. I, I'm sorry about that, too, sir. 
So you killed Bolton. <laughs> Saw him one night treating the girl really nastily. Front of this house. If I may ask, why the woman? Oh, she was a nagger. Really annoying. <laughs> and after I killed one, oh, it struck me I couldn't be hanged more than once. So I might as well do old Evans, too. Thoughtful of you, Mr. Kilroy. Mm. That butcher was a private matter, though. Uh. He kicked a dog once. I saw him. Didn't treat his wife any better. No kids. Figured he'd leave her his money. So I got him with his own mallet. <laughs> Quite simple, you see. And uh, you signed your name to each one. Of course. Good deeds are scarce in this world. Thought I ought to get proper credit each time. Now, if you'll excuse me... Sergeant! Good work, Sergeant. Uh, he's strong, sir. Stronger than he looks. Cases like this usually are. Ah, oh, well. We'll need the ambulance. Not the wagon this time. And uh, use the telephone director, Sergeant. <laughs> I find them quite useful books when I remember to use them. Who'd have thought it, sir? How many of our murderers are considerate enough to sign their killings, sir? Murderers don't sign their work, do they? Unless, of course, their sense of humor is as twisted as their valuation of human life. This killer did autograph his killings. And today those notes can be seen in the usual place for such things. In the Black Museum. Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment. Joe Kilroy was insane, of course, by every normal standard. Insane enough, certainly, to sign his name to three murders. And by every normal standard, the gentlemen of Scotland Yard acted correctly within the rules of their profession in tracing every possible motivation, every possible suspect, before they came to the obvious solution. After all, it is logical that when men spend their lives dealing with the deliberately obscured, they can actually fail to notice the openly obvious. Now the notes remain in their usual place, in Scotland Yard in the Black Museum. And until we meet again in this same place, for another story about the Black Museum, I remain, as always, obediently yours. All right, there you go. The Black Museum, great series. Orson Welles was the star, and uh, that's from 1952 called The Notes, syndicated and heard on Mutual. Hope you enjoyed The Black Museum. We play those quite a bit here on Hollywood 360 because, you know, Orson Welles really did a lot of great radio, and we try to play um, The Shadow with him, and we play The Third Man and Suspense. He was in a lot of suspense. Yes, so uh, we enjoy Orson Welles and his uh, his Black Museum. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. Next week, it's the Jimmy Durante Show, Casey Crime Photographer. I was a communist for the FBI and suspense. From my co-host Lisa Wolf, executive producer Mike Costella, national movie critic Sarah Adamson, Vince Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West, and me, thanks for tuning in. Hollywood 360 with host Carl Amari is brought to you by Reader's Digest. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at hollywood360radio.com. Adam West speaking. <laughs>